How are you guys? Good. You guys kind of showed up. That's good. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Isn't the Lord good? Yeah, we're going to worship the Lord. We're going to praise him. The Lord has something for you today, some more. What's going to happen is Pastor David's going to speak to you in a few minutes, and then we'll have lunch at noon. At 1 o'clock, we come back for our commissioning time. During that time, we're going to recap things. We're going to have a time of communion together. And then we're going to have a time of everyone will be commissioned. In other words, you will come up and receive prayer. There's going to be something that you're going to reflect on. Your purpose. God has a purpose for your life. Did you understand that last night? That you have a purpose? What you have to offer is important? What is this? What are you going to do with it? Pass it. What are you going to pass? That's the question. What do you plan to pass to the next generation? What does the Lord have on your life? The anointing on your life. Not just to for you, but there's a greater impact that you don't even know you have. That the Lord has placed something that you don't even see. But if you're faithful, it's going to impact the next generation. It's not just about what you see. There's more that God has for you. So exciting. Let's stand. We're going to worship. I know sometimes in the morning it's a little bit more challenging. But you know what scripture says? Stir that fire within you, which is the Holy Spirit. We don't do things because we feel like it. We do it because we're obedient to the Lord and we want to worship him. Amen. So let's start worshiping. Oh, Lord. 
somebody's hand that's next to you grab somebody that's next to you and what we're going to do is you know what I want you to do is I want you to identify the battle that you need victory in right now see sometimes we keep it in general zone but I want you to say you know what it, whether it be finances health whatever you you know what when you sing that song you were thinking about something whatever that you were thinking you may not have wanted to be thinking about that but you were thinking about it when you were singing that song, when Shelly was up there, when she was saying, you're rise, every day I'm still here. What are you still here? What is that battle? The Lord is saying, I want you to identify that battle. You know why? Because I believe the Lord is going to give you power to prevail over that enemy. This year, there's a reason. You may have another battle next year because you know what? You go from glory to glory. You're taking down your giants. There's more than one giant in your promised land. But you know what? This battle... The battle that's before you right now, the Lord is saying, you know, you tell me what it is. I want you to identify. There's something about declaration. There's something about declaration to say, Lord, this battle, this specific battle, Lord, next year when I come to the first conference, I'm going to testify that this battle was defeated. Right now, I want you to share it with somebody. Share it with your person on your right or your left. Just share it in faith. Don't fear. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be embarrassed about the battle. The enemy wants to shut you up, to keep it private, to keep it disclosed in some sort of hidden spot. And you're going to declare it. You're going to declare it because that's the first step to the victory, is declaring what that is going to be. What is the victory that you need? Now I want you to take that. Now that you said it, now you're going to pray over each other. Right now, start praying over each other regarding that battle. Whatever it may be, just pray over each other. You don't need some hot shot up here praying over you. You can pray over each other. Thank you, Lord. Victory's in the house. Victory's in the house. Lord, you're going to bring victory to people's lives. Lord, I pray that there would be prayers. There would be um, 
there would be dangerous prayers, Lord, of what you can do. Lord, pray in big prayers. Come on, let's pray some big prayers right now. Not what we know, not some of these things that we say, well, I can see this possibly happening. Pray the big prayer. Pray the big prayer. Lord, I know that in order for this to happen, there's got to be a miracle involved. There's got to be your hand. There's got to be supernatural intervention involved. But I'm going to believe for the big thing. I'm going to believe for the big prayer. I'm going to believe for, for total reformation of my, my family's life. I'm going to believe for, for uh, total healing over my body. I'm going to believe for supernatural provision in certain areas. I'm going to believe for multiplication, Lord, in, in my ministry. Lord, I'm going to believe, Lord, for for the, the, the nations, new nations to be opened up, Lord. We're going to pray the big prayers. We're not going to let the, the culture around us, even our own unbelief, getting in the way. Come on, times the greatest battle. Come on, sometimes the greatest battle is the internal battle. Sometimes the greatest battle that we're taking down. You never lost a battle, Lord. Don't lose that battle that's within me. That battle that, that's what sometimes we're our own greatest enemy. We're our own greatest enemy because we talk ourselves out of the victory. We talk ourselves out of stepping out. We talk ourselves out of rising up, like Shelly was saying. We talk ourselves up and stepping up the game, stepping up our, our commitments. Holy Spirit. Come on. The Lord says, ask of me. Ask and you shall receive. This is the ask. We're doing the ask. The Lord wants us to ask. He wants us to be persistent. And you never lost a battle. Never lost a battle. And you never lost a battle. Never lost a battle. The battle we just prayed about. That very battle, Lord, you're not going to lose. You never will. And we declare it right now over this specific battle. Sing it specific. Sing this song specific for what you just prayed about. Now we declare it. Never will. No, you never lost a battle. Never lost a battle. No, you never lost a battle. No, you never lost a battle.
the Holy Spirit is just saying, tell the people in your ask, in your asking of God, it is not you, God, you telling God what to do. But actually, the Lord says, in your ask, you are surrendering the situation to me. You're relinquishing control. See, this is really important because sometimes in our ask, we're getting fixated on how we want God to do something. But the way it works with the Lord is in our ask, asking of him. It's not sustained control by us, but rather relinquishing control to him. And some of us have a problem with control. I don't know if you do, but he's telling me you do. So <laughs> I don't know. But he's saying some of you have some problems with being controlling. And you lay it down and then you pick it up. You lay it down and then the storm comes and then you pick it up. And the Lord is saying, I want you to lay it down and relinquish the control of whatever the situation is that you are giving to him. Relinquish the control. And when the storm comes, remember the story about Peter. When the storm came, he got distracted and he stopped believing because Jesus said you had little faith. He stopped believing because he stopped fixing his eyes on Jesus and he got his eyes on the storm and he realized he wasn't in control of anything. And the Lord is saying, you're going to have to give up that control. Some of us have a giant within us that has to do with control that we've got to take down. You know, maybe you're a survivor. You say, well, Pastor Lynn, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know how I've survived. And one way that I've survived is being in control. And the Lord's like, you know what? You may have survived, but I want you to thrive. You may have survived, but I want you to thrive. And the fact is this, in order for you to thrive, you've got to relinquish control to me. Some of you say that word is for me. Raise your hand right now. We're just going to Listen, listen. Listen, listen, anybody that's a leader, that's a parent, that come on, we got to be controlling so easy. We need to default to it. I got to get in control of this situation. It's going out of control right now. Rather than saying, I bring it to you, Lord. Lord, I relinquish it to you. 
And Lord, I submit to your power. I submit to, to you. I surrender to your word. I surrender to what you've told me to do, to keep moving forward, to keep persevering, to keep believing you. Right now, those of us that have control issues, maybe it's not always, but it is sometimes. Maybe it's weakened in you, but it's totally not eradicated. So let's get rid of it. Lord, right now, for those of us that really struggle with that spirit of control, come on, I see some hands that need to go up because I know you. So you better, <laughs> I know some of you, and I'm all, come on, your hand needs to go up. Your needs to go up. Right now, Lord Jesus, we relinquish, Father, the control. Lord, and I pray over us the Holy Spirit's conviction when we get defaulted back into the old man, the old way, the old flesh, when we start getting controlling again. Lord, the Holy Spirit, we get permission for the Holy Spirit to convict us, to convict us strongly, Lord, so that we do not walk in that control because the enemy is behind it. It's the old man. It's the old way of thinking. It, and actually, it prevents us from thriving in you. It prevents us from flourishing the way that you're wanting in our lives. It prevents us actually from victory many times. Lord, we, we take captive those thoughts of control. We take captive those thoughts, 2 Corinthians 10, 5, and we bring them under submission right now to Christ Jesus. We take captive, every time we take captive those thoughts and bring them under submission to Christ. Thank you, Lord. We're going to build our lives, Lord, on your love. We're going to build our lives. Let's sing that one more time.
time that we've been here this morning, the Lord's been speaking to my heart, and he's, he's kind of purifying us, you know? We have to have our hearts pure so the Word of God can be implanted in it, right? And as I was standing here this morning and worshiping, the Lord kept telling me that there are some of us in here that are limiting the Lord in what he wants to do in our life because of our past. And the Lord wants you to know this, that in the, it's interesting, in the book of uh, 1 Corinthians, in chapter 6, Paul lists the whole liturgy, liturgy of sins that people were a part of. And he says, it's really interesting because in verse 11, he says, and that's what some of you were, past tense. It's your past. You're no longer in that. You were in that. And a lot of times we like to, as people, we like to identify what our past was. There's some sort of dysfunctional glory in identifying what we used to be. And God's word says that's what you used to be, but you've been washed. I love this. Not only have you been washed, but you've been sanctified. That means you've been set apart by God and made holy. And then he says, and you were not only washed and sanctified, but you were justified, which means you're put back into a right state of relationship with God. And he says, and it's been done in the name of Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. And then he drops down in a few verses and he says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Don't you know you have the Holy Spirit living and dwelling inside of you as a man or woman of God? The Spirit of God is dwelling in you. And then I love this. He goes over in the next chapter and he says this. In verse uh, chapter 7, verse 17, he says, And nevertheless, each one of you shall retain the place in life that the Lord assigned to them to which God has called you. You see, there's an interesting thing that happens here. We feel we're not worthy, so we don't take the position of authority God's given us. And then we like to go back. Instead of going forward, we like to go back to where we used to be because that's comfortable. And God's saying, you know what? I'm going to take you like, like I was a kid. We used to have this toy doll called Stretch Armstrong. And it was like this guy, you could grab his arms and pull him all the way out. And, 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 and it was amazing how long his arms could get. Well, you know, God wants to do that to you spiritually. He wants to stretch you in areas that you never thought possible. He wants you to stretch you in areas where you can say, no, you don't know my past. And what the enemy will do, the enemy will constantly bring up your past to remind you of what you used to be. You need to turn to 1 Corinthians 6 and say, yeah, I was, but I've been washed. And I've been sanctified. And I've been justified. And now I can walk in the fullness of who God says I am. And you know what? I, I just, I don't know who that's for, but if that's for you, just raise your hand. We're going to pray. Lord God, we just release this word. We release this word of your spirit. We release this word that comes from the written word of God, the rhema word of God, the, 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 uh, the timing where you're coming across and you're cutting across our time zone, cutting across our schedule because you want to get a message to us, Lord. And so, Father, right now, I just pray. I just pray there'd be an infusion in our spirits as men and women of God, that we would walk in a fuller revelation and understanding of who we are in Christ.
Lord, I pray that, God, that none of us would get stuck in the dirty cycle, but we get stuck in the washed cycle, we get stuck in the, in the sanctified cycle, we get stuck in the justified cycle, Lord, and we would continually remind ourselves when, when the enemy tries to whisper in our ear, oh, you can't do that for God, you're not worthy. And you, we could just say, Lord, I know we're not worthy, but I've been washed and I've been justified and I've been sanctified by the blood of the Lamb. And Lord, now I walk in authority, I walk in purity, and I walk in clarity of my calling to you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor Rebecca, continue to lead us in worship. So oh. 
Aren't you glad you can develop your faith through hearing God's Word? Aren't you glad that the Word of God isn't some stale old book on a shelf that doesn't mean anything, but it's active, it's alive, it speaks to you? You can read the same passage two days in a row and the Lord speaks two different things to you? Aren't you glad for the Word of God? Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you, worship team. I'm excited about what God's going to do this morning. We've got some great things in store. If you have your prophetic appointments, you don't want to miss those, just feel free to step out and slip back in. Did everyone get uh, a handout with notes? Everyone got those? Anyone need those? Okay. If you didn't get them, raise your hand and uh, Jeff Veliquit will be kind enough to help you. Keep you on your toes, Jeff. Hey, I want to talk to you this morning about the whole issue of sowing into the next generation. You know, I really believe that God is raising up men and women of faith who will be able to speak the word of God boldly into the lives of the next generation. You know, I think when you read through scripture, one of the things scripture talks about is that there's a great deal about us being people of faith, sowing our faith into other people. We are people that boldly proclaim the word of God to equip you. My role our role as pastors, if you're a spiritual leader in any capacity, your role is to build up the body of church, uh, the body of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, this is not in your notes, this is just a, pr a preliminary stuff. But in Ephesians 4, 11, we're called, the five-fold gift of ministry is called to equip the church for the work of the ministry. Let me tell you, if you were raised in a church where the pastors do everything, they're not functioning biblically. Do you hear me? Our role is to bring you here on Sundays or on Wednesdays or on Thursdays or on Fridays or on Saturdays and to equip you to do the work of the ministry. God's work is about multiplication. God's work is about being prosperous. God's work is you're going to have descendants, like we said last night, as the, as the stars in the sky or the sand on the sea. God wants to multiply his kingdom. You know, in the book of Proverbs, it was interesting because when I was prepping for this and my wife and I, we went down to, we usually do the, uh, when we start our Daniel fast, we go out of town for a three or four day study, fasting, prayer, just getting in the word of God time. And we were down, we went down to Morro Bay and she mentioned this last night. It was when, when they had a storm and the electricity went out. We were on an island. It was really great. We went to an island vacation in Morro Bay. The whole place was flooded all around us. We couldn't leave. There was only one restaurant open in town. It was really fun. But we sat there and we studied and we, we saw what the Lord wanted to say to you tonight, this weekend. And one of the things he wanted to say is that as a good person, listen to this, Proverbs 13, verse 22. 
The book of Proverbs is, wisdom, is the wisdom book of God telling us how we should live our, next, uh, our life. And he says, this is what God wants us to give to the next generation. A good person leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. You know what that's talking about? If you're a righteous person, if you're a good person, if you're a person that's following the Lord, you're going to leave something not just for this generation, but you're going to leave something for the next generation as well. And God's word declares that that's an important thing. And how many of you would like to get a huge inheritance? You know, you know I just read a thing about a guy, he won $50 million in the lottery and within four years, he was bankrupt. How do you spend $50 million in four years? But you make bad investments. You know, that's not wisdom. God wants you to be the wisest man or woman that you can be. And when we look at this passage of Scripture, one of the things it's talking about is what do we leave to the next generation? Not just the next generation, but what do we leave for two generations down? You see, I'm a grandparent right now, so I, I, I can see into the next generation. And I can see not just in the next generation, but I can see the generation after that. And I see how important it is for us to invest into those generations. You know, I remember years ago, probably 10 years ago, everyone was talking about leaving a legacy. Do you remember that? Uh, everyone was talking, there was all these sermon series about legacies. There were churches named legacies. There were businesses named legacies. All these things about leaving a legacy. But how many ever are actually doing that? Because a legacy is something that you stood for that carries on from the point you stood on it for the generations to come. And I believe that there are, there in, in our lifetime, we can leave both physical and spiritual legacies. You know, I grew up in a family that their legacy was to go to church twice a year. They were good Christians. They went Christmas and they went Easter. Or if there was a tragedy, they would go and ask the church to pray for them. But it wasn't, it wasn't investing in the next generation by training up the family and the things of the Lord. You know, we can live in a physical sense. We can live in a physical sense where you may leave money or property or possessions or you know, trinkets that are really valuable to you that your kids sell at a yard sale for 50 cents. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about what does God want to do to leave a spiritual legacy. You see, because those things are tangible. You can see those. And I think it's great when families leave wealth and property and things to, to others. But what happens normally? The generation that gets it doesn't really appreciate it because they didn't earn it, and they just squander it. And what God wants to do is God wants us to leave some things that are intangible, some things that are spiritual, things that, that God's word declares he wants to leave, and that's salvation, a generational faith. He wants us to lead uh, freedom from addiction, freedom from sin, freedom from bondage. He doesn't want people to be in bondage generation after generation after generation. You know, I thank God that I had a, a, a church. And you know what's interesting? I had a wife praying for me before she even knew me. And I had a woman that was praying for me while I was living in sin. This woman right here. She was praying that God would deliver this pagan when she was a, a little girl running around in her, her missionette's outfit. I don't know. Do you have missionettes when you did? Probably. She's more like a Boy Scout or Royal Ranger. But, you know, I tell my wife all the time, you have more testosterone than most guys I know, you know. She's a, she's a warrior. She's a, 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 a killer of the giants, you know. But she was praying for me. And I remember sitting in, 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 in my, my relationship. I wasn't in relationship with God, but all of a sudden something happened inside of me. And at that point, I made a decision. I would never go back to what I used to be. 
I would only go forward in what God wanted me to be. And my passion is to, to leave the next generation greater spiritual understanding and depth than I have, greater spiritual passion than I have, greater uh, spiritual calling than I have. You see, because one of the things God wants to do is you can choose whether you want to have a blessing to pass on to other people or not. You can either choose to be a blessing or you can be a burden to the next generation. You know, I get tired of churches that all they want to do is remember the, the, the rearview mirror. You remember back when? Oh, it was so good back then. Oh, yeah, it was, it was so great back there that we, we are looking so much at the back end of life, we're not even seeing the future over here. We're not seeing the development of our church. We're not seeing the development of the next generation. We're not seeing the development of future generations. You know, one of the things that I did is I have a, a, both my wife and I have doctoral degrees. We've studied way too much stuff. We had to actually relearn to be good pastors, you know, but so many times people talk about if you understand your past, which is important, but you don't live there. You, you look at it and say, okay, this was where I used to be, but that's not where I'm, I'm going to be. You know, I'm looking to the future. I'm looking like Abraham was, was looking to a city and builder whose maker was the Lord. He wasn't looking just at his children. He was looking beyond that because of the promise God gave him. And God wants to give you that same promise. You know, listen to this. You and I, we have been specifically designed by God to do good works for his kingdom. Do you know that? That's right. Look at the person next to you. Go on, look at them. Look how good or middle mediocre, half decent they look, right? Look at them and say, you know what? You have been designed to do good works for the Lord. You know how I know that? Because in the book of Ephesians, in chapter, chapter two, uh, 2, verse 10, it says that. It says you are God's handiwork. You know, you are crafted. You are designed. You are cultivated by God to do great things for him. And when you understand that, it changes your perspective. Not only that, look at that. It says, you were created while you were in your mother's womb. Your mother may not have been a believer. Your family not be a believer. You may not even know who your mom or dad is. But you were created in the womb to do great works for God. And he says, and God not only created you to do that, he actually prepared it in advance for you to do. You know what that means? There are plans that God has for you. And so many, I am so convinced the older I get, the longer I'm in faith, the more I study the word of God, that most Christians have no understanding of what God wants to do in their life. Well, you know, I can't do something big, so I won't do anything. That's the mentality we have. And when God says, you know what I want you to do? I want you to start with something small. You know, you look at these big trees around here, you know, these big oak trees, you know, we just had a, a baptism in the Holy Spirit retreat. We were down at a Catholic center down in San Juan Batista, and I was walking, and I kept noticing everywhere you step, there are these small little acorns about this big, you know? And I kept seeing them, and I'm thinking, man, I almost want to get a whole handful of them and send them to all my kids all over the country, but I know the agricultural laws of the United States would prevent me from doing that, you know? Uh, but I kept seeing these acorns and thinking, these huge, humongous trees are produced from this little tiny thing. And just think if someone says, well, we're not going to plant them. Just think the next time you go to the store and you want a good juicy tomato and all the farmers decide, you know, we're not going to plant that seed that's this big to produce tomatoes, what would happen? We'd all get angry, right? 
We'd all get upset. We'd all get frustrated because a small seed produces great things. And one of the things God wants to do, he wants you to understand why you were created. You were created to do good works for him. Actually, I love to turn, I'm, I'm, I'm an egghead. I love to study scripture. Elizabeth always asks me questions. She's my new question answerer now. She asked me last night, she says, can I ask you one question? And I said, yes. And she ended up asking me five or six and I asked her husband, I said, Tyrone, is she like this at home? And he goes, yeah, she is. I said, now this is her home. It's her home church. So she's going to do it in her home. And I have no problem asking questions. But you know, one question could start something. And when Paul studies the word of God and you understand it, and you understand the wording that he uses, it's amazing. He actually uses a word. And I, I put this in your notes. The word kidzo. The word kidzo literally means something that was properly created. And not only was it properly created, it was like in the beginning in the book of Genesis where there was nothing and God said, let there be light. Literally, that's exactly the concept that is being taught here, that God wants to create something out of nothing in your life. Do you know that? You may say, well, my life's nothing. That's great because God can do great things now. When you think you're something and you have it all together and you have everything in a neat little package that you control, ooh, that was a good word, Pastor Lynn, you know, when you control things, then you don't allow God to operate and do the things that he wants to do. Right. You know, one thing I know about plants is plants will grow wherever they want to grow. Amen. If you're driving through Morgan Hill, next time you're driving through Morgan Hill, you're coming up from the south going north, and you get between 4th Street and 3rd Street, look at the, the, the wild grass that's growing through the cement, through the asphalt. They had these barriers there during covid and they just moved some of the barriers from one of the shops, and there's, there's wild grass growing out of the asphalt about this high. You know why? Because a wild plant will grow wherever it wants to grow. And God wants you to be wild in the kingdom of God to grow wherever you're planted. He doesn't want you to say, well, I have to have everything perfect. Let me tell you, you're never going to have anything perfect. The moment it becomes perfect, you're going to mess it up. So just learn to live where God wants you to grow and allow him to experience something in you and experience something through you that you become the man or woman of God that he wants you to be. You know, God created something in you when you were born that you, your whole life journey is to figure out. You know why? Not in your notes. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans the Lord has for you. Not plans to, to harm you, but to prosper you. You know, one of the things God wants to do, God wants to cultivate a sensitivity in your spirit to his word so that when you're opening up the word of God and you're reading it, it's like, God, speak to me. Speak to me, your plans and purpose. You know, I love what my wife said last night about how sometimes we have a, a desire, we, we want God to do it one way, but God does it a totally different way. You know why? Because God's plans for you are not your plans for you. The problem we get into, the problem I get into is when I think my plans are God's plans. You know, well, if, if I was God, we'd all be in hell. You know, moment you tick me off, boom, fire and brimstone. You'd be a little charcoal pit laying there, right? We're not God. God wants to speak to us through his word. His word is what is life. His word is what, according to the Old Testament, is a lamp unto our feet and guides us and directs us. It's, it's, it's his word that speaks to us. And what God wants to do is God wants to empower you so that you can do good for him. Not good for yourself, good for him. Because here's a, a principle I've learned. When God wants you to do something great in the kingdom, it's going to cost you. You know, we always think, well, it's not going to cost me anything. Let me tell you, it's going to cost you. 
and it's going to cost you dearly because everything that God does, God requires a sense of sacrifice. And he says, I want you to sacrifice so that you can experience what I'm going to do for you. And when you do that, he's going to open up an area of blessing to you like you never thought. I tell our church all the time, you know, I remember when we first came here, man, we, we, it, was, it, was, it was a struggle. Ten years ago, this church was a struggle. Now it's becoming, becoming quite easy. And I remember sitting here thinking when I first was elected pastor, we were, my wife was here, I went back to India, get all her stuff, came back, and I remember sitting in my office one day thinking, what did I get myself into? But now, I can see, God, I know you have a plan and purpose. And it wasn't my plan and purpose, but it was your plan and purpose. And not only was it a blessing to us, not only was it a blessing to the church, not only was it a blessing to our community, but now it's a blessing to the globe. You know why? Because God's word tells us, I have plans for you, and I want to prosper you, and I want to develop something in you. And he says, his purpose is for you to know him. And when you know him, you're going to know what you're here for. You know, I, I deal with people all the time that ask me this question. What, what, what is my purpose in life? Have you ever asked yourself that? Why has God put you here? You know, what, 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 is it, what, is it, what does he do? He's put you here to learn his plan and purpose. He's put you here to learn the desire on his heart for you to become the man or woman of God that you can be. So how do we learn? You know, I was an educator. I spent 20 years in college, not in college, but teaching in college. I spent about, what, 14 years in college. I was a slow learner, you know. But we, the primary purpose that we, primary person we learn from as a believer is the word of God. The word that became flesh and dwelt among us. We learn how to live our life the way Jesus lived our life. And how do we do that? We read the scripture. We read the, the gospel of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then we look at the book of Acts and says, where Jesus says, okay, I'm going to leave you, but I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit, and my Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you into all truth. So we say, okay, Lord, give me the Holy Spirit. Let me understand who the Holy Spirit is and what he's doing in my life, and then let me learn how to live my life. And then we read the, the books of, of Paul and, 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 and John and the different writers of the New Testament, and we allow that word to become active in us so that we can become the men or women that God created us to be. And you see, when we do that, we learn powerfully. And in, in our, our practical lives, there's ways you can learn. Like some of you, I've, I, how many of you have never been here before? Okay. How many of you have been here one or two times before? You know, how many of you, this is your home church? How many of you don't know why you're here? Okay. You know, we learn from different ways. And my wife and I always, we always talk about how we can learn. There's information that's taught and there's information that's caught. When you come to something like this, or you come to a seminar, or you visit a church, or you may even read a book or a magazine, or you may read an article or listen to a podcast or do something, you're learning something informationally. You're learning it cerebrally. You're learning it up here in your head. You're learning in, in what your fact or data or a, a point of information that you could process. You see, that's important to do that. And it's important for us to study the Word of God and learn things. But, you know, we don't have the... The, the personal interaction when we're learning just cerebrally, you know? You can sit in a closet and learn. You can sit in your car and listen to a podcast. You can go to the gym while you're exercising, listening to somebody do some teaching. You can watch something on television and, or on, on a CD or DVD or anything like that, and you can watch it and learn, but you're not having the interpersonal relationship with it. You see, because that's, in academics, you know, you learn, and it's all, it's all fact that fits really good into a box. And then what happens when you get in the real world? You know? I'm a chaplain for the local police department. 
And when a new, new officer comes in, even if they're from a, another agency or they graduate from the police academy, they're on what they call FTO, field training officer status. And they'll go for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, sometimes even months, until they learn how to do the job properly according to that agency. You see, it's field training that helps us to realize that some of the things we learn, they're good to know the facts, but how do we apply those facts? And that's the second way that we learn. If you look, one of the things that the scripture tells us, listen to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. It says, these things happened to them as examples, and they were written down as warnings to us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So scripture was written, and actually, here's the truth. You may or not, may not know this. How many of you love the letters of Paul to the churches? You know, Ephesians, Philippians, Corinthians. You know what? All of those churches had problems. We look at them and think, oh, the Corinthian church must have been so spiritual. They were jacked up, okay? They were really a mess, you know? Paul had to write letters of correction, not just one, but he had to write two to them to make sure they were really getting it. You know, we look at Scripture and we think, these people had it all together. Let me tell you, they didn't have it all together. They were trying to figure out how this all works just like you and I are. And so what we do, because we don't have the opportunity to know them personally, we know their letters, we can learn from them and we can understand who they are. But the real question we have to ask ourselves is this, how do we learn from the Word of God? Well, Paul told young Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, 16, he says, watch your life and doctrine closely. You see, here's the thing that I have a problem with as, as a, a pastor of a local church. I have a problem with people that want to learn from people that they don't, under, they don't know them. You know? Well, I, 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 I don't go to church anywhere. Oh, what do you do? I listen to someone on TV. That's really great. Do you know that person's life? Do you know how they're living their life? Are you watching? We have a term around here. We call it knowing each other 360. You know what that is? I know what you're like back here. I know full circle, everything about you. How you slice me, if you slice me this way, I come out David. If you slice me this way, I come out David. I'm Hopefully I'm the same person I, when you slice me this way on Sunday morning as I am Wednesday afternoon. Are you the same person everywhere you go? Are you a spiritual chameleon? You know what that is? Come to church and you glory to God, hallelujah, shandamakai, you're doing all the spiritual stuff, and you get out there and you're totally a different person. That's not what God's calling us to do. God's calling us to learn and understand who we are in Christ and develop ourselves. And that's where we come into the second way of we, the way we learn. Because we learn not only from a, uh, a formational way, but we learn when we're in relationship with people. That's why this is so important. Listen to me. That is why it's so important for us to be in the community of faith. You know that? That you could sit and you could listen to a podcast. You can listen to someone teaching on TV. You can listen to someone that's listening to, on your radio but they're not living life with you. Yeah. You know? That's right. I, I tell you, I, I could live things academically pretty good. I could figure it all out, how I should live. But do I live it? You know? Can I pick on the healthcare community? How many of you have gone to the doctors that have told you that you shouldn't do this or shouldn't do that, and they may have a pack of cigarettes in their pocket, or they may be overweight telling you you need to lose weight, or they, they may be come in and they're all blood pressures, all beat red, their face looks like a, like a, a red beat, and they're telling you your, high press, your blood pressure is high. You know, 
We, we know people in all these disciplines. We know people in every area of life. You know, you can talk to people that are in law enforcement that are breaking laws. You can talk to pastors that are living immorally. You can talk to medical people that are living unhealthily. But as Christians, are we living the way we're supposed to live? The problem with the church is for too long, we haven't lived the way we should live. And as a result of that, what we're doing, we're telling the next generation, hey, you can live any way you want. It doesn't really matter. As long as you get a little Jesus vaccination, you can go and do whatever you want. And God's saying, I want you to live every single day you live like I'm standing before you. So what about the people that we're in direct relationship with? You know, this is one thing about people say, well, I'd go to that church, but I know they have problems. And I tell people, you're right. And if you go, they'll have more problems. As a pastor, I'll tell you what, I'm not perfect. People that know me from Crossroads, right? I'm not perfect, am I? Come on, I can hear you better than that. But you know what, neither are you. But we can still come together and have fellowship and have community because iron sharpens iron. What happens when you have a dull knife? You put it on a sharpening stone and you start to get it and you start having some friction. And that's what happens when we're in community. And, and I tell you, one of the things that I think is a real, my wife and I were talking about this yesterday, COVID has really separated the church. And right now the people are going less and less people going to church and they're living in isolation and they're living in this kind of a spiritual ivory tower of who they should be in Christ, not realizing how damaged it is to the, who they are as people. And we can't do that, church. We need to be focused and growing and maturing. That's why he says, to, to, Paul says to young Timothy, Hey, watch your life in doctrine, because it's not just about theology. It's how do you live it out, right. how you flesh it out. You know, I can preach a really great sermon on love or on, on, on caring for people, but if I go to the coffee shop and I treat the barista like a piece of garbage, my faith is worthless. Right. You hear me? Yeah. How do you treat the person that, in your view, in your eyes, may not look like they're very important to God? You know, I, I'm convinced that God sends people into our life on a daily basis to check and see if we're li really living what we say we're living. Amen. You know, are you truly the woman of God that God's called you to be? Are you truly the man of God that God's called you to be? Or are you just putting on a pretense of who you are? You see, because one of the things that this culture understands is they understand fakes. They understand frauds. They understand people that aren't living it real. And we want you to live it real. And that's why Paul says to Timothy, watch your life and doctrine closely. Because in doing so, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. Now, who are our hearers? People you rub shoulders with every day. You know? I tell people, if you have a fishing dove on the back of your car, don't drive like the devil. You know? If you have a honk because you love Jesus, don't use your horn to honk at people all the time because you're angry at them. Don't be a road rager, okay? You live your life in doctrine the way you should. And Paul says one of the things he wants us to do, he wants our lives to both positively and long-term impact people's lives. So look at the book of Hebrews. This is really interesting because the, the letter uh, written to the book of uh, people of Hebrews was to the Jewish community that has come into faith. And, the, and the, the writer, I believe it's Paul, Paul says to them, he says, remember your leaders who spoke the words to you. Consider the outcome of their ways of life and imitate their faith. How many of you are leaders in churches right now? Let me see your hands. Many leaders in churches, leaders in Teen Challenge, you serve on a board of something. Okay, this is really important for you. You need to watch your life closely. 
It breaks my heart when I open up an email or I open up a web page and look at the news and find out another pastor has fallen, you know? And I, I, I intentionally position my life where I'm around people that are not believers. And every single time a major news story, story comes out of a pastor who's fallen or a religious leader who's fallen, uh, inevitably, within a, a five minutes of meeting this person, they'll say, well, what do you think about so-and-so? What do you think about their life? You know? Because people are watching, you may not know this, people are watching how you live. They're watching whether what you say on Sunday is the same thing you say on Thursday. They're asking, you know, are, are you the same person everywhere you go? And that's why it's so important as leaders, listen to me, leaders, it breaks my heart when I see leaders that are living one way and all of a sudden it comes out they're living a totally different lifestyle. You know, that is called a fraud. That's called a sham. That's called a fake. We're not called to be fakes. We're called to be genuine people who love God with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our strength, every part of our being, so that we can look to other people and say, follow me as I follow Christ. Right. You know, if you're not following Jesus the way Jesus wants you to live, don't ask other people to follow you. And if you're a leader that has that level of duplicity, you need to take a step out of ministry for a while, take a step out of leadership until you get things together right, because you're creating bad disciples. You know? How many of you know, and anyone do woodworking? Anyone ever work with woodworking? I've been watching. I'm, I'm trying to get my birdhouse business down a little bit better. I make birdhouses. You know, my wife loves the fact I make birdhouses, and she's like, please stop putting it in the backyard. You know, we have more birdhouses than birds in the state of California in my backyard. But, uh, you know, in, in woodworking, you can create something. It's called a jig. And what it is, it's a, a template that you can create that every time you do something, if you're cutting a, a piece of wood a certain kind, you can put the wood in it, and it'll cut it, and it cuts everything the same, same angle, same position. Well, you know, if you create a bad model for that, if you're off a little bit, every single piece you create is going to be bad. As a believer, the same thing. When we create a lifestyle that we live, if we're not a good pattern for people to follow, people that are watching our lives are going to follow a corrupted version of us. And that's not what God's called us to do. Because when we do that, what we do is we impact not just ourselves, but our followers and the followers of those. And what we want to do is we want to create people that are healthy and strong and people that are, are solid in their faith. That's why Paul writes to the Hebrews and he says, I want you to imitate. What does it mean to imitate someone? Imitation, they say, is the ultimate form of flattery because you're copying someone. How many of you have ever been to a church where you may have gone to a church or you may have been part of a, a Christian organization that all of a sudden you're reading a different Bible because your leader reads a different Bible? You may like one version of Scripture, but they, they use another one. I used to teach at a Bible college in Modesto, and all of the students that were at the Bible college started talking like the senior pastor. They'd come in, and they'd be from you know, someplace else, and all of a sudden they're talking like, I'm like, where did you pick up your accent? Well, they've been listening to the pastor speak, and everyone started speaking like him. And they started talking like him. And they started imitating him. So I'm expecting all of you in Crossroads to start shaving your head. Pastor Nick is following my example really good. But the rest of you with long flowing locks, get out the razors, okay? And I don't care if it's male or female. You'll all look the same, right? Really bad looking, right? No, only kidding. But we, we imitate people because we, we, we want to be like them. And Paul says that as he's writing to the church here, he says, I want you to imitate them. I want you to emulate them. Follow them as an example. 
Now, he's telling us if we follow Christ as our example, that's the best template that we can follow. That's the best model that you and I can follow. When we follow Christ in that way, what we do is we say, I'm going to follow Jesus the way Jesus told me to follow him. Then the people that follow me are going to follow me, and I'm going to be just like Jesus. So they're going to be like me and be like Jesus. But if we're off just a little bit, we have to be very careful of that. And one of the things that he says is interesting because within the New Testament, I think there's seven references to the word imitate that you use this way. To copy the lifestyle of the person that you're following and emulate that lifestyle so you can become just like them. That's why Paul, when sometimes Paul, I've heard people say, well, are you following the gospel of Jesus or the gospel of Paul? And I'm like, are you like, did you get bang your head into the doorframe on the way in here? Because Paul was following the example that Jesus set, and we're following the example of Paul, and Paul's example is a good quality demonstration of who Jesus was. So I'm going to follow Paul because just like Paul followed Jesus, I'm following Jesus by my relationship with Paul. You tracking with me? Is that too confusing? Okay, because what Paul did is he took the baton from Jesus, and he says, I'll take it, now I'm going to pass it on to Timothy. And Timothy said, I'm going to pass it on to the next generation. And I'm going to pass it on to the next generation. And I'm going to pass it on to the next generation. Because the example that was followed was the example that was given by Jesus. And when we follow Christ, he transforms us. There's a renewing of our mind. There's a renewing of our perspective. There's a dynamic that happens when we, we surrender to the Lord where he says, you know what? I want to change this in your life. And it's, Lord, it's not my will be done, but yours be done. But how many times have you said, I don't know if I want to do that? Lord asked you to do something. I don't know, Lord. See, that's an oxymoron. You can't say no to a Lord. If we were in a a, a kingdom and the the king or queen comes in and they say, I want you to do this. Uh, I I don't think so. (laughs) What would happen? You'd have a lot less hair to wash, right? (laughs) Because you wouldn't have anything from here above. Your head would come off, right? But that's not the kind of Lord we serve. We serve a Lord that's compassionate and kind and extends his love and his grace to us. But what he wants us to do is he wants us to know him in an intimate way. He wants us to know him in a way that transforms our lives. Look what he says that Paul says to the church of Thessalonica. He says this in 1 Thessalonians 5.12. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. You know what admonition is? You know, I'm so glad you sit up here because I always pick on whoever sits here. You know, I love, the, I love this about you. Because you, got, you got this one area of your life that you, the Lord needs to straighten out. How many of you like that? How many of you like when the Lord picks on you like that? You know? How about you, Amber? I, I really like this about you, but you got an area in your life that I really want to change. We feel uncomfortable, right? Everyone's moving to the second row, right? Yeah. We don't like when people are calling things out in our life, but here's something that's important. When we're truly following Christ and we see an area in our brother and sister, we approach them with love and we say, you know what, I want to help you become a better believer. I want you to become the best woman of God you can be. I want you to become the best man of God that you can be. I want you to be developed in that. And a lot of times leaders, you know, if you're a leader, you you have to call that out, but you call it out in love and grace. This is not a place of condemnation. We said this is a no-shame zone, our church, right? We're not going to shame people into anything. But we want to point things out in your life. I have things in my life. You have things in your life. And what we want to do is we want to grow together in our faith. I love how the the, uh, Amplified Version reads in Ephesians 5, verse 1. It says, Therefore, 
I love this. Become imitators of God, copy him and follow his example as beloved children who imitate their father. You know, there's nothing cuter than when you see a little, little guy who's, you know, uh, he, he may be a, a Michigan fan, Michael, you know, and uh, he has a Michigan jersey on and his little toddler has a Michigan jersey on, you know. Uh, there's nothing cuter than that. What are they doing? They're following. I've seen guys where they have a big pickup truck and their kids have a little pickup truck or their dad has a toolbox and the little guy has a little toolbox or they, the dad has a baseball cap and the little guy has a baseball cap. What are they doing? They're trying to copy. They're trying to become like their father. And that's what Paul says to the church in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was a church that it was in, in the midst of paganism. And he says, I want you to follow the example of Christ and follow him in such a way you become like little children. You grasp the full meaning of what the Father's doing and you carry it on in your life. You know, that's what God wants you to do. He wants you to carry on who you are in Christ so that people around you would imitate your example of life like a little child would imitate their father. Why? Because in the eyes of a little boy or in the eyes of a little girl for a mom, there's no one more perfect than their mom or dad. And I tell you what, we have a perfect example in our Heavenly Father. And our Heavenly Father wants you to grow and understand who He is and understand the intimacy of who He is. You know, in the book of Psalms, it says in your notes, it says in Psalm 145, verse 4, it says, one generation commands your workers to another and they tell of your mighty deeds. You know, we are called to testify of the Lord while we're in the land of the living. We're called to proclaim what God has done in our lives while we're living. When we die, it's, it's, it's over. You know, we don't have to worry about it. We're not going to have to have a testimony when we're in the presence of the Lord. But what I find is so many times people want to follow, and I love church history. I love reading the old church fathers. But, you know, sometimes we, we follow the example of, you know, that the church father says, you know, uh, follow Christ and, and, and when necessary, use words. The problem with too many Christians is we don't use words. We follow Christ, but it's like we keep it close to ourselves. We don't share what Jesus is doing in our life. We don't share what he's doing. And, you know, I found that I have a couple examples here is that, you know, one of the things we do is we think that Christianity is caught by osmosis. You know what that is? That if I sit next to you long enough, I'll become like you. And I don't learn anything. I just sit here. But I don't, you don't talk to me about it. You're just sitting next to me. You're just being here. But you know what? That's not how it happens. There has to be some sort of communication. Why are you different than the people around you? Why, why is the spirit of you, every time I'm around you, I have peace? Why is it when I'm around you, I feel confident? Why is it around you when I feel love? Well, I'm such a good person. No, you're not. You're a follower of Christ. Christ is the good person. He's the one that's made you the way you are. Talk to people about that. You know, we, as parents, we've raised three kids, and we've raised three kids that all love the Lord, We've raised three kids that have uh, an ability to communicate the gospel in a very clear process to their coworkers, to their friends, to their neighbors. Why? Because we didn't just sit them down and say, we talked to them about their faith. You know, I love we had a meeting with, uh, we're starting a prison ministry, jail ministry with our church, and... Uh, we, we sat with a coordinator from the, the prisons, and he says, well, tell me about your church. And I went to go, and two of our people in our church started telling them what our church was like. You know why? Because they understand it. Yeah, right. We have communicated the message and vision of this church to our members so that they can clearly communicate it to other people. That's exactly what Paul's telling you and I we need to do with our faith. 
We, we, you don't have to parrot it, but you can phrase it in the words that you use. But, you know, you have to say something. It just doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. We, we, rub in, we come into a church, and we all of a sudden become fully aware of who Christ is. We have to articulate our faith to other people. A second problem I've seen with churches is this, is that we basically say, you know what, pastor, that's what you get paid to do. No, Ephesians 4.11 tells us that the work of the pastor is to equip the church, equip the saints for ministry. So my, my job is to equip you to be a, the best woman of God you can be. My job is to equip you to be the best man of God that you can be. My job is to equip you so that you rub shoulders with your congregation. Well, I don't pastor. No, you do. You just don't call it a pastor. You're a pastor at your workplace. You're a pastor with your family. You're a pastor in your neighborhood. You know, my neighbors around me, they all know that I'm a pastor. Right? So if I'm not acting like a pastor, well, what kind of church do you go to? I remember years ago, we pastored a church and we were at a state park and the, the crew was out and they were being crazy, like two o'clock in the morning, crazy, doing all kind of crazy stuff. And I remember the park ranger come over and I was the chaplain for the week at the camp because we had so many campsites and he knocked on my tent post. And he says, I don't want kind of church you pastor, but I'd never go to it. Why? Because curfew was late and these people were up at two o'clock in the morning acting like idiots. And so I had to go tell my church, hey, quit acting like idiots. The park ranger thinks you're an idiot, thinks I'm an idiot. You know, that's not the kind of example we want to follow. We want to follow a godly example. We want to follow an example that promotes things. And then the last thing is people don't think there's a, there's a real need to do it. But let me tell you, God wants to raise up the next generation. He wants to raise up people that are fired up for him, passionate for him, that understand the word of God. Let me tell you, the world around us, is discipling their followers. Are you discipling the people that are following you? You know, we, we're living in a culture that right now is it's all sorts of stuff is getting crammed on our throats. Are we able to withstand that by the word of God? You know, my wife and I, we love to go to Israel. And in Israel, if you go to Israel, if you go to Israel every time, you'll hear the call to prayer. And they always start off by reading what they call the Shema. The Shema is, is in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, and it's in your notes. It says, Hear, O Israel, for the Lord thy God is one. And that's how the, any Jewish service, any synagogue would begin, they'd read that. But you know what? In that passage in Deuteronomy, there's some interesting truths that we can learn about how to communicate the gospel to the next generation. Look what he says in verse 5. He says, You love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and with all of your strength. These commandments I give you today to be, as, uh, to be on your heart, impress them on your children, talk to them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, and when you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands, bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your house and gates. You know, that's interesting because the, 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 the scripture is teaching us how do we communicate faith from this generation to the next generation? Well, if you keep reading, if you drop down to verse 20 in, in chapter 6, look what it says in verse 20 through 25. And in the future, okay, now take a pause there. If you did the things he said in the first five verses, there will be an opportunity in verse 20 in the future. Listen, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulation, the decrees, and laws of God, the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell them this. 
We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible, on Egypt and the Pharaoh and the whole household. But he brought us out from, uh, I love this, but he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us a land that he promised, an oath of our ancestors. The Lord commanded us to obey all of these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive. As in the case today, if we are careful to obey all of the laws before the Lord our God, as he had commanded us, we, that we will be our that will be our righteousness. These two passages together are pretty interesting because they basically give us a formula of how we take our faith and pass it to the next generation. The first thing that we do is we have to, personally we have to love God passionately ourselves. This is not you know we can't have this wishy-washy kind of, well, I'm kind of in love. You know, I always tell people doing the spiritual hokey pokey. You know, I'm in love with Jesus. I'm out of love with Jesus. In love with Jesus. Out of love with Jesus. You know, you can't have that, that lifestyle. You've got to be committed fully to the love of the Lord. And, and the De in Deuteronomy, actually, Jesus quotes this when he's, he's talking to the, the people and they say, what are the greatest commandments? He goes back and he quotes the Old Testament. He quotes Deuteronomy and he says, you've got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. And then the second greatest commandment is this. Then you can love your neighbors as yourself. You see, you've got to love God with an intense passion. You can't be hypocritical. You can't be a person that's living one way on Sunday and living the rest of the week a different way. You've got to be a person that is aware of who you are in Christ, and, and live that out on a daily basis. You know, uh, it's amazing how the church has forgotten that. You know, we love other things more important than we do Jesus. We don't say that, but we, we practice that. And what God wants us to do is God wants us to be fully in love with him. He wants to be people that, you know, we don't have to, How many of you are perfect? Anyone perfect? Anyone? No, but none of us? Great. Because you don't have to be. You have to just love the Lord and let him change you and transform you. And when you do that, you become this example of who God wants you to be. And he says, you know what? I want to take all your weaknesses and I want to show that the people around you that I love you and I can still use you. You know what's amazing in scripture? We read the Bible and we think, oh man, these people had it so together. You know? Oh man, they're such great examples. Look at some of the examples in scripture. Moses had anger, rage, actually so much anger, he, he actually killed someone, and then he had a stuttering problem. So he, he couldn't speak really well, and God says, I want you to tell people. And he says, well, I got a speech impediment. And God says, I don't care what your impediment is, I want you to be used for that. You look at Miriam, who was a great worship leader, she was also had a problem with gossip. Not that the church today has a problem with gossip, do we? No, no, no. How about Noah? Noah, man, saved the world, but what he had a drinking problem. He got so drunk, he passed out. His kids found him laying in the field naked, and it was, it was an embarrassment to everyone, right? Oh, but Moses, you know, what about all these people? What about Jacob? Jacob, his name means deceiver. He was a constant liar. He lied about everything, you know? You go through and you look at different people. Solomon, Solomon had way too many women in his life, okay? Smartest man in the world, way too many women in his life. Samson, Samson had a lust problem. David had an adultery problem. Jeremiah, the prophet, the great prophet that quotes the Messiah, basically today in standards, he'd have PTSD. He had all these traumatic experiences in his life that he had to get through. You know, you, you look at Jeremiah, Jeremiah in massive depression, okay? These are people that we love. Okay, let's get to the New Testament. Peter, man, Peter, 
stuck not just both feet in his mouth, he stuck his legs up to his thigh in his mouth. Both times, and then he would continue to talk. Also, he had fear. You look at Paul and Mark. Paul and Mark had this, this fight where Paul didn't even want to have anything to do with him and told Barnabas, he's worthless, leave him at home. Okay, these are the people that we read in Scripture that we think had it all together. Now, if God could use them, God can use you. And yet so many times we think, well, I'm just so unworthy to be used by God. Quit putting on the false humility. That's just an excuse for not being the man or woman of God you want to be, God wants you to be. Man up, woman up, be the person God wants you to be, and watch and see how God uses you. Because God used them, and they weren't perfect. And God wants to use you. And one of the things that we have to get over is we have to get over this, this, this complex that we have that when we get it all together, I'll tell you, when you get it all together, you'll be walking through the pearly gates. You're not going to have it together until then. But you got to be a person that says, you know what, Lord? Whatever I do, whether in word or action or thought or deed, I'm going to do it as unto the Lord, is what Paul told the church in Colossae. And when we do that, we're going to start to see a transformation of our lives. We're going to start to see a transformation where God begins to use us. And people come to us and they say, wow, what is it that's different with you? And you can say that Christ is in me and he's done something powerful and he wants to do the same thing to you. He wants to transform your life. The second thing that you can do besides loving God passionately, and this is really important, you have to not just know the truths of Scripture, but know the practical truths of Scripture. You have to know, how do you flesh out your faith? What do you really believe? You know, I love when people give me this seminary definition of something, you know? Like, well, what do you really mean? Oh, I don't know. I'm just requoting something, like my parrot, you know? I don't know what I mean. I just, this is what I, they say, and I just say it, too, and I don't know what it means. But basically, the gospel is very practical, you know? The second greatest commandment, how, what are you supposed to do? Love your neighbor as yourself. Who's your neighbor? The person sitting next to you. The person that you see on the side of the road. The person, that, when you walk out of a coffee shop and they're laying there with a blanket and they're laying there and it's 30 or 40 or 50 degrees and it's cold here because we're, we're Californians, right? It's not like 20 below, like in the northwest, of, you know. You say, hey, hey, brother, hey, sister, do you need something to eat? Do you need a coffee? Can I, can I, can I share the love of Christ with you with, in a tangible way? Can I tell you? And when they ask you why, you say, I'm doing this because Jesus said that to love your neighbors yourself and you're my neighbor. You know, that's a real practical thing. Look at what Deuteronomy says, and I love this. He says in verse 7, he says, what you're to do in Deuteronomy 6, 7 is to impress these things into the lives of the next generation. How many of you know what it means to impress something? Not to impress someone, but to impress something. You know, uh, if you ever take a piece of leather and you have a leather belt, and they'll take a leather belt, and you want your name in it, they'll take a, a die, and they'll take a hammer, and they'll hit that into the leather, and then they'll take it away, and that is indelibly marked with that letter in the leather. You know, I, I know how to do this because recently I was driving my truck, and I decided to take a, a corner too sharp, and I, I, I indelibly left a mark from a telephone pole on the side of my truck. And it, it took force, it took action, and when you see the side of my truck, you'll look at it and say, wow, that's a really nice impression. I had it parked at the police station the other day, and somebody was walking by, and they're like, man, what, what kind of idiot did that? And I said, you like my truck? Well, I'm sorry, you know? You know, you, you basically, an impression is something that is, is pushed in, and it, it takes effort and energy. It takes time. It just doesn't happen instantaneously. Well, my accident did, but that's, 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 it took more time to back out than it did to pull in, you know? 
The impression is what God wants to do. He wants to put an impression on your lives. He wants your life to be an impression upon other people's life. You know, one of the things that God wants to do is when you are transformed by the renewing of your mind, Romans 12, 1 and 2, it's not in your notes, but when you're transformed by the renewing of your mind, it does something to the way you think. Do you know that actually scientific studies have been done on brain chemistry? And when you learn something, the, the synapses of your brain create new uh, pathways in your brain. It actually increases the, the, the neurological pathways in your brain. So as you're learning, you're actually becoming a larger brain. Your, your brain is actually interacting more because of the, the electronic processing of the way the body works. Your brain is actually learning things. And one of the things that God wants to do is he wants your brain to be transformed by his word. Because when it transforms your brain, it transforms the way you think. It transforms your perspective of yourself. It transforms your perspective of other people. It transforms your perspective of what people are saying or doing to you because you understand that now I'm a servant of the Most High God and I'm going to walk in the ways that God's uh, called me to walk. And you're living out your, your life in a faith that is so dynamic and so real. And then the third thing that God, a practical way we grow and communicate to the next generation is this. Use your testimony. You know? Some of us have, well, you don't understand my past. That's great. You know what I found? The very thing in your life that you struggle with is the very area in your life God wants you to use to set other people free. Well, I, I, I have a, a gambling problem. Well, I've been set free from it. Well, great. You can help people that are addicted to gambling. Well, I've had a drug problem. I've had an alcohol problem. I've had a rage problem. I've had this problem. I've had that problem. Great. The very thing that God wants to release in your life is the very thing you struggle with. How do I know that? Because you're sitting in a building. You're sitting in a, a, a property that God had a real, had to teach them a real powerful lesson. They struggled immensely with finances. Look around. Look at this. Not to boast, but God did all of this. We paid cash for everything. Why? Because the very area this church struggled with was the very anointing that God wanted to use for this church to reach the nations, to minister to people, to minister to people that didn't have things because they struggle with finances. And God says, you know what? That's the area the enemy wants to destroy this church through. But I'm going to use it. And I'm going to sanctify it. I'm going to wash it, cleanse it, and justify it. And I'm going to make it the very thing that they struggle with is the very thing that now people are going to go, how in the world do you guys do what you do? Because we're the little tra trained church that can we believe that God is able to do it, and we're doing it, and we're watching God do it, and we're seeing God do it. And let me tell you, doing it in a church building is no different than doing it in your life. You just got to say, Lord, here am I. Use me. Here am I, God. Search my heart. Help me be the person that you want me to be. Rebecca, come on up. You know, it's interesting because when you look at Deuteronomy chapter uh, 6, verse 22, he says this. He says to the people, he says, when your kids ask you how you got to where you're at, he says this. Tell them your story. Amen. You know? Tell them the story that you live. Look at the story. I mean, this is, this, is really, this is really glorifying, isn't it? Oh, man, we were slaves in Egypt. You know, if you stop there, it's pretty pitiful. But what, what does it do? It says, but the Lord. I preached a sermon years ago when I was pastoring in Washington State. I almost called it God's butt, and I decided to change it. You know, my wife goes, you can't call it that, David. You know? But the butts of God in scripture are the amazing things. This would have been where I'm at, but God. Had the Lord not been on my side, I would have been swallowed alive. If the Lord didn't step in, I'd have been a mess. You see, when you tell the story of God, you can tell, you know, and, and, and a lot of times we like to tell the, the, the bad side of who we used to be. But let's start telling the good side of what God made us. 
You know, this is where I was, but God stepped in. You see, because here's something powerful about your testimony. Other people can't refute it. Right. Well, no, no, that, that, that didn't happen to you. you. You had all these problems? No, that's not true. And I was like, what are you talking about? That's my life. I know what I've gone through. God, is, God has done this in my life. And you see, we as believers, one of the things we have to realize is your testimony is such a powerful message to communicate grace to other people. You could say, you know what? This used to be my addiction. This used to be the thing that held me back, but God came in. So I want to show you, and I want to grab it and pass it to you and say, you know, if God could do it for me, he could do it for you. I tell my church all the time, if you knew how jacked up I was when I was younger, unfortunately, I have a guy in my church now that used to live in my hometown, so he knows how jacked up I was because he used to see me when I was all jacked up. And actually, his name's Jack, too. So he's jacked up, too. But he understood me as the rebel kid that I was. And he's like, he comes in and he's like, were you David Willis from Wyoming? I'm like, yeah. He goes, oh my gosh, what happened to you? And I said, the Lord. And he goes, wow, look what the Lord has done. You know, Revelation, it's not your notes, but Revelation is, uh, Revelations 12, 11 is one of our favorite scriptures around here. It says, they overcame by what? By the blood of the lamb and the word of the testimony. You see, the blood of the lamb is God's part, what he's done in your life. But the word of your testimony is you declaring what God's done in your life. It's you telling what God's done in your life. It's you saying, this is what I used to be. I used to be all of these things, 1 Corinthians 6, where we started, this whole list of things that I was all jacked up. But God came in, and I've been washed, and I've been sanctified, and I've been justified, and the old person, the old David is dead over there. The new David is here, and what he wants to do is he wants to share the love of God with you because if God could do it for me, God can do it for you. Why don't you stand? Father God, I want, I want us this morning, this, as we gather together today, Lord, we came to say, how do we pass our faith to the next generation? Lord, you've asked us to live our faith in such a way that it transforms our life so other people can see it. And I pray that, Lord, you would give us an incredible passion for you. I pray that, Lord, you would baptize us with love and fire. Lord, you'd baptize us with your spirit and with your baptism of love, Lord. You'd baptize us with a, a grace of understanding of who we are in Christ so that we could be the men or women of God you've called us to be. And Lord, I pray that we would constantly remind ourselves of the goodness of God and communicate that to other people. I pray, Father, you would help us to, to be people that have an impression of your Holy Spirit upon our lives, like Deuteronomy says. But God, that when people look at us, we don't talk about ourselves, but we talk about how great our God is. We talk about how good and, and, and kind and merciful and loving he is. We talk about how compassionate he is and how forgiving he is. And Lord, we do that in a way that declares your goodness in the land of the living, Father. And I pray for each of us, Lord, that you would just take this word and you would, you would impress it, you would massage it into our hearts, oh God, that we would become people that are not ashamed of the gospel, but we realize it's the power of God for salvation to us that believe. And Lord, I pray, Father, right now, Lord, you're speaking to areas of our hearts. You're speaking to areas in our hearts, God, that you need to come in and touch by your Holy Spirit. 
And I just pray that, Father, we would be sensitive to that. Lord, some of us are thinking, that's good for you, David, but you don't understand where I come from. No, you, you don't understand where I come from. And if God can do it for me, he can do it for you. The enemy would like to silence your voice because faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word. And if we're not telling the word of God to people, faith can't arise. So I pray that right now, Lord, you would baptize us with the spirit and fire. You would baptize us with boldness. You would baptize us with the, the spiritual gift of gab, Lord, that we'd be able to communicate your love to others in a very real and a very genuine and a very practical way. I pray that, Lord, for some of the people that we come in contact with that are going through some really hard situations, that, Lord, you would give us an, uh, a sense of compassion and empathy towards them, Lord, that we would be able to sense in the spirit some of the things we're going through, and that, Lord, we would not be shy and not say something. We would not be shy and hold it to ourselves and think, oh, that's just a, a weird feeling I'm getting. But, we're, Lord, we know it's the Holy Spirit speaking to us to reach out in love and to reach out in grace and reach out in kindness. Lord, because your word says that the kindness of God is what leads people to repentance. So Lord, I pray that we would be men and women that are so in love with you that it translates us into loving other people so that we can pass the faith to the next generation. In Christ's name, amen. Pastor yes. Rebecca. I just want to speak the name of Jesus over fear and all anxiety to every soul held captive by depression I speak Jesus cause your name is power from the mountains Jesus in the streets Jesus in the darkness over every enemy Jesus for my family I speak the holy name Jesus shout Jesus from
very strongly and he said a phrase and I wrote it down the world is discipling their followers are you discipling yours and I felt the impact of that because there are those of us in this room that have children brothers and sisters, whether they're older or younger, doesn't matter, family members, that the Lord is calling you to disciple them. You say, well, they don't, you know what, I'm the younger, I'm younger than my older brother, and he's not going to listen. You know what? That's the enemy speaking. You know why? Because you're telling God that he can't use you. You're telling God how it's working. And the Lord says, no, I have placed you in this family to reach this family. Now, you may have had a journey yourself. And you can actually excuse yourself because of that journey. You can say, well, you know what? My family has watched the mess I made. But that's not the point. Because God has made you into a new creation, and now you have a testimony. I was once a slave in Egypt. I was once a slave to drugs. I was once a slave to an addiction. I was once a slave to my own selfishness. I was once a slave to the world. I was once a slave, but now he brought me out of Egypt. He brought me into the promised land. And what are you supposed to do with that? According to Deuteronomy, you're supposed to tell it. You're supposed to tell it to your family. When they ask you, why are you different? Well, this is why. This is why. You are a, part of the baton and passing is passing it to the next generation is telling your story. It's so that they get impressed with your story. So that someday you're going to be somebody's grandmother or great auntie or great great auntie and they go, you know, let me tell you the story of great great auntie. This is the story of our line of great great auntie. And she overcame. And she became a, a minister of the gospel. She became a woman who put hands on people. And as a result, they were healed. Because she had great faith. She was a woman that said, you know what? 
for your free. I handed the baton. And so the next generation takes the baton and says, we carry that anointing. We carry the anointing of auntie. And we will not only not have our family bound, but we're going to help other families that are bound have freedom. We're going to create multiplication from generation to generation to generation. See, the thing is, our ministry, we have a ministry. You, Every person in this house has a ministry. You have an assignment. If you have a brother, you have a sister, you have a cousin, you have a niece, you have a grandchild, whatever you want to say. You have a neighbor. You have a, a, a family, friends that are like family. Come on. They're your mission field. They're your mission field. They're your mission. I'll tell you what, they're your first mission field. I was praying about my kids because I minister all over the world. I have three children. They're all three married. I have five grandchildren. And I'm telling you what, heaven's not heaven if they're not there. Heaven's not heaven if they're not there. And I'm saying, you know what, Lord? Those children... I want you to keep them. They're, all, they're serving the Lord. But I want you to keep them. But not only do I want them just to be good Christians, I want them to be powerful Christians. And you know what the Lord told me? Because you know what? Before I go and minister in settings like this to you all, or we go overseas, or to my church, or to other things that where I minister, I was like, Lord, I want my children I bring back my children to you, Lord, because I go about ministering all kinds of people, but I want my children. And the Lord says, oh, Lynn, I got their number. And when I call, they answer. That's what he told me. He said, you know what? I got their number. And when I call, they answer. And I said, okay, Lord, if you got that, you got that. I keep going because I want the baton to be passed to my family, to you, to the nations, to whatever arena God has called us to. And I know right now there are people, you all in this room, when I'm talking, you know who I'm talking about in your life. You're all like, yeah, I know who you're talking about. Some of the hardest ministry you could ever do is to your own family. You know why? Because they know you. They could bring up your stuff. And they're going to say, well, what do you have the rights? But it's not about you having the rights. It's about him having his message through you to those around you because he loves them. I want us right now, I want you to lift up your family members. Like I said, it could be family, friends, and they're like family. Your children, your husband, your wife, your your grandchildren, your nieces, nephews. Come on. We're going to hit, we're going to go after that. Because you know what? We don't want to save the world and lose our own soul. And you know what I mean by that is your children and your families in your heart, aren't they? They're in your heart. And don't ever believe the message from the enemy that say they're too far gone. Don't believe that. Don't believe that it's too late. Don't believe that um, they're never going to turn. That there's, that, that's not, um, 
it's not their, what do you want to say, destiny to come to Jesus. Don't you dare believe that. Don't you dare believe that. It's not true. Have faith for them. But also, like Pastor David said, but he's going to use you. It's not just having faith and I'll go to my prayer closet and pray. But he's going to use you. He's going to use what you have to say. He's, you are going to disciple them through your testimony, through your life example. Follow me as I follow Christ. You say, well, they're not even close to following Christ. But you know what? You have an influence in their life. You say, I don't know if God's working in their life. I always say this to my church. If you're there, God's working. Why? Because you bring Jesus. So when you're in their life, then Jesus is in their life. Because you bring Jesus. Right now, let's lift up our families to him. We don't lift them up in despair. We don't lift them up in unbelief. We don't lift them up in fear. What we lift them up is in faith right now. Lord, we're going to believe you. For our brother, for my brother, oh Lord, he's stubborn. Lord, so I know who he is. And I know actually, I'm, the Lord is good with stubborn. He knows how to break off stubborn. He knows how to, to, uh, to cause stubborn to be dissipated. He knows exactly, God, there is nothing too hard for God. There is no heart too hard for God to penetrate, for the Holy Spirit to penetrate. Right now, we're not lifting up ourselves. We're going to lift up our family members. Right now, children, spouse, cousins, sisters, brothers. Come on. May the Lord give us a heart for them. If they're not serving the Lord, may we have such a passion, a targeted passion that they would not just serve, not just get saved, but have a passion themselves for the Lord. Have a purpose. Be, be in love with Jesus. Lord, right now. There's many in this room, many in this room that have family members that are, some are prodigals, some never really have committed their lives to you, some are maybe in the depths of, of really bad lifestyles, very, very bondage-oriented lifestyles, maybe deceived by the things of this world, but Lord, nothing is impossible with you. You break every chain. You are able, Lord Jesus. And Lord, we don't just pray for them in this moment. But Lord, we carry with us the assignment. We carry with us the assignment to bring your presence into their lives. Carry with you the assignment of testimony. That we're going to share our testimony. We're going to share what you're doing. Not just how you saved us, but what you're doing in our life right now. We're going to share with them that we're praying for them. We're going to share with them that while I was at this Holy Spirit conference, the Lord gave me a burden for you. And we're going to tell them, you know what? I got a burden for you. I'm going to be praying for you because I love you. And I know God has great things for you. He wants to reveal his love to you. He wants you to be free from whatever it may be, that depression. He wants you to be free from that uh, sin in your life. He wants you to be free from the sorrows or the anger that you're always feeling. The Lord loves you so much. He has more for you. Lord, may we be faithful to carry that baton. May we be faithful to be the vessel of your Holy Spirit 
to our family, to our friends. May we be the thermostats. In other words, we set, when we enter in the room, the spiritual tone is set. That the atmosphere that we enter in doesn't shift us, but we shift the atmosphere through the power of the Holy Spirit. The negativity that we may walk into doesn't penetrate us, but rather we lift the atmosphere because of the Holy Spirit in us. We bring in the joy of the Lord in the midst of the anger and the reactions and all of the stuff that they may have inside of them. As we enter into the room because of your Holy Spirit and its fullness, Lord, those things, Father, that they, they are, they are um, dissipated. They are confronted by your Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you. I pray over each one of us that we have a revelation in our thoughts that we, because you're in us, not because we could do it in ourselves, we cannot, but because you're in us, the fullness of you in us, that we can reach our families for you. In your name, amen. God bless you. Okay, we have lunch. I want you to do is go get lunch at 1 o'clock. Be back in here for the commissioning service. It's our last service. There's going to be communion and a prayer time over you. All right, go get some lunch. <laughs>